0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to go to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we'll be as we're continuing in our series, The Real Jesus. And if this is your first time with us, you can relax. We're not going to ask you to stand up or, or anything like that or bring you up front. Uh, we just want you to come and not... Uh, expect uh, really anything except to come and, and hear from God. And so we're so glad, so thankful uh, that you are here. And hopefully you can join us for some free food after the service out at Reynolds. So uh, Matthew chapter 5 is where we are. If you have an ESV Bible, that's on page 810. If you do not own a copy of God's Word, we'd love to bless you with a copy. And so we have ESV Bibles uh, on our welcome table out front. And so you can grab one of those and take you or take it with you um, for no Cost whatsoever. So, the real Jesus, that's a series that we have been in where we are just walking verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount, a message that Jesus. Preach, And we're we're nailing a a nail into the coffin of the fake religious Jesus every single week. And hopefully we're resurrecting the the real Jesus in our minds. Because the real Jesus is alive, right? He is resurrected. He is powerful. He is life transforming. He is good news. And so uh, he is worth it. And we want everybody to meet the real Jesus. So um, as we continue to walk through this series, we come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 is where we will be at. And uh, you can look with me on your phone or in your Bible or or on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, this is Jesus' words. Starting in verse 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Will you pray for me as as I pray for you, Father? We just come again, and we come to you because we are absolutely helpless. We cannot change ourselves. We cannot change one another. Only you can change us. We just ask that in this time that you will take your word, which is active and living and sharper than a two-edged sword, and you will drive it deep into our hearts. We came this morning because we need your help. We need to be encouraged. We need to see the real Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, do what only you can do during this time for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. How many of you, say a show of hands, Remember your very first paying job? They remember your very first paying job. Yeah, I think the majority of us remember our first paying job. It's a big deal. I remember I was uh, it was the summer between my sophomore and junior year that I started working at a local factory. And I remember being so excited that morning because I felt like a man. You know, I was waking up, and I was going to get to go to the factory and do man-type stuff and eventually get a paycheck and blow my money on whatever 16-year-olds blow their money on. And so I went to work, and it didn't take long for my excitement to to die down because I realized that that there's something they expect you to do at work that's not very much fun, that's they expect you to work. And so um, I I go in, and and my job specifically was so weird and so tedious, I still don't really understand what I was doing. Not sure I wasn't working for the mafia, um, but what we, we did is literally I went, and it was me and two other guys, they put us in this warehouse that was off from the actual factory and I would have to pull these 75-pound welding machines out of a box and literally with black pieces of electrical tape, they said, Jared, all we want you to do all day long is take tape and cover up the word NAPA anywhere you see it. And then put the, uh, the welding machine back in the box and send it out. And that's all I had to do. And so that worked really well for about two days And uh, it started getting really boring, so I thought I'll do something else with my black electrical tape. And so what I decided to do is there was a guy that worked beside me. His name was Jason, but I called him Crazy Carl because he worked really hard. And I said, that's crazy how hard you work. So I called him Crazy Carl. And and my, my objective when I would go to work was to take these black pieces of electrical tape and try to put them on Crazy Carl's back without him noticing. And then the guys around me would try to see how many pieces of tape could I get on his back before... The lunch you know, break came around. And uh, as you can imagine, for those of you that are business owners, you're not going to tolerate that for very long. So I was there for about two months and uh, was gone. And that was my very first look into the work world. Now I was lost at the time. Don't judge me. okay? I know I'm not promoting that anybody do that. at your first job. Um, but I, I tell you that story because I think it's a look into human nature. And what I mean by that is this. I I had just one thing that I was supposed to do. It's take pieces of black electrical tape and put it over the word NAPA. And I could only do that for about two days. And then I just began to do my own thing. And I know there are some of you in here, like you were the teacher's pet in school. You would have been awesome in the OT. Like you would have been able to obey all the ceremonial and civil laws. Like you would have loved that life. But, But the Bible actually says as a whole, humanity, we are evil people. We are born with a sin nature, and we are not good at obeying the rules and the laws. And we see that throughout history in the Old Testament. I mean, God saves a people, Israel. He says, I've saved you, you are my people, and now I'm going to give you these laws right to, to to help you live in a life where you can experience me in more intimacy a, a life that you will experience my protection a, a life that will help create more joy for you but what we see is when you read the old testament is for 1500 years Israel fails miserably at obeying these commands that God had given them to walk in eventually you come to the new testament though and you meet the real Jesus And what we'll see is the real Jesus is the only human being that has ever obeyed the law perfectly. He is the only one who ever did everything that God calls him to do. But what's interesting with Jesus is this. When he comes on the scene, it appears as though he's preaching a message contrary to the law. In fact, it was such a scandalous message that the Pharisees and the scribes begin to question Jesus. And they begin to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, you keep talking about reaching the least of these. You keep talking about grace. You keep talking about building your kingdom with broken people. And so if that's true, what about the Ten Commandments? What about the law, Jesus? Are you doing away with the law? And how does Jesus respond in verse 17? He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, for I have not come to abolish them, but to Fulfill them. What's important for you to see this morning is that the real Jesus does not compete with the law, but the real Jesus comes to complete the law. The real Jesus says, I'm not standing in opposition to the Old Testament. I'm not standing in opposition to the law, but actually all of the Old Testament and all of the law is pointing to me. Do you know that? That when you read the Old Testament... All of these obscure stories, they're all pointing to Jesus. Jesus says, it's all about me. And he goes on in verse 18 and he says, For truly I say to you. We need to stop and think about what Jesus just said there. He said, truly I say to you. Back whenever a prophet in the Old Testament would stand before people like this, he would say, thus saith the Lord. Or God has said. And then they would say what God had said. But notice Jesus doesn't do that here. Jesus doesn't need to say, thus saith the Lord, because what he's saying is, I'm the Lord. I am God. Just as God's word has authority in the Old Testament, so my word right now that I speak has authority. And here's what he says with that authority, verse 18. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. What Jesus is saying here is so profound. He is saying that I have come not to get rid of the law, I've come to fulfill the law. He's saying that that, that the writers in the Old Testament, everything that we see back from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, that stuff still stands, he says. It still has authority. And it's so important for all of us to hear that because sometimes isn't it true that, that we look at the Old Testament and we think, eh, it's a little outdated. Eh, the Old Testament doesn't really have that much use in my life anymore. Just read the New Testament. See, Jesus says something different though. He says you need to avoid that. He says actually none of the Bible will pass away, but it's all powerful and it's all meant to direct us today. Now, we need to know the difference between like ceremonial and civil laws, and we need to know like what laws were just meant for Israel during their culture. But what Jesus wants to be clear on is that all of the Bible is authoritative. All of the Bible is useful for us right here in Paragord, Arkansas in 2014. Here's the problem. Oftentimes, what we do is we grab this Bible and we treat it like the grocery store. We, we go to the Bible and we, we begin to pick verses off the shelf that we like or books of the Bible off the shelf that we like that that really just means something to us and, and we tend to kind of just disregard everything else in the Bible that doesn 't seem that applicable to us or maybe we don't like because the Bible's not meant to be used that way. The Bible is meant to be an authority an authority over all of our lives. We're we're meant to submit everything that we are to everything in the Bible. And one way that you know that you're doing that, let me tell you how you can tell if you are submitting your life to the Bible, is it will actually begin to attack lifelong beliefs. That's how you can know when you're submitting your life to the authority of the Scripture, is it actually will begin to make you uncomfortable and sometimes possibly even angry when you read it. But a lot of us, Don't want to do that. We don't want to be stretched out of our comfort zone. Can we be honest? Some of us, we don't want to know if we're wrong about God. We don't want to know if we're wrong about the way church is. We would just rather believe what we're believing because that's comfortable for us. So we just pick and choose parts of the Bible that we already know we agree with and just kind of disregard the rest of it. And I think that's why so many churches in our culture are in a mess today. That's why so many churches look so little like the church we see in the book of Acts. It's why possibly even some of you here this morning, though you talk a lot about Jesus, you do not enjoy Jesus. Because you don't know the real Jesus. You don't know him because you don't look and you don't submit all of your life to the authority of Scripture. But what Jesus says today is if you want to know the real me, you must know your Bible. You must know God's word. Because Jesus says it's not just the New Testament that's about me. It's the entire Bible that is about me. Everything finds its fulfillment in me. Maybe some of you here this morning, you have been told that the law is bad. Maybe you even look at the law and you think, man, the God of the Old Testament, he just seems so much different than the God of the New Testament. You ever felt like that? I was watching a documentary this past week, and it was on execution. And should we, you know, should we as Americans uh, support execution? And this guy says, it just seems like something the God of the Old Testament would do. Jesus would never be about execution. As if the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is, is different. And a lot of times what we do is we look at the God of the Old Testament, and, and we say, man, he almost appears like just this, this cranky dad. Like he's just angry it's like he's just always looking to throw rules on you and just trying to say, I want you to do all this stuff just because I can make you do it. Has anybody in here ever seen the movie The Tree of Life? I'm the only one? Kind of figured that actually on it. All right, Dean. Sweet. Yeah, that's right. Brad Pitt uh, is actually the kind of the lead character in the movie, and he plays his father, name his name is Mr. O'Brien. And Mr. O'Brien is this dad who rules his family with an iron fist. I'm the Father, and you'll do whatever I say, kind of guy, right and, and, and in this movie, in this movie, there's a scene where Mr. O'Brien is sitting in his chair and he's got his paper, and his son's in the other room doing dishes or something, and, and Mr. O'Brien's sitting there and he says, "Hey boy, fetch me my lighter." And the lighter's like right there beside Mr. O'Brien. I'll fetch you my lighter." So the boy walks over there and grabs the lighter. And just moves it closer to his dad and begins to walk away. And Mr. O'Brien says, hey boy, you forgetting something? And the boy kind of walks back real sheepishly and kind of reluctantly gives his father this hug. And then he of tries to pull back and, and Brad Pitt's character just hugs him in even closer. He's like, I'm not going to let you go until it's time to be let go. You know? And then he eventually moves back and the boy walks away. And Mr. O'Brien says, son, you love your father. And, of course, the boy's like, yeah, Dad, I I love you, and walks away. And isn't that the way some of us possibly view God, the Father? We think he's just this authoritative dad who's just saying, here's a bunch of obscure rules, and if you don't do them, you're going to be in trouble. That's the reason I'm giving you these rules, just to prove to you I'm powerful, and if you don't do them, I'll crush you. Guys, nothing could be further from the truth. God did not give us rules to crush us. He gave us rules not to, to beat us down, but to, he gave us these rules to protect us. He gave us these rules because he wants us to experience life as he has created it. experience. He said it's actually not good for you to walk around killing each other. That's not a good life. It's not a good life for all of you to covet each other's spouses and, and to lie and, and, and to talk bad behind each other's back. That's not a, a good way to live. Jesus is here pointing to the law and he's reminding us that the law is not a bad thing. That the law is something Jesus says, I've come to fulfill. He says the purpose of the law is so that you can walk in closeness with God and so that you can show a picture to the world of what he's like. That's what he says in verse 19 when he goes on. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes on one of or the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called what? least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven you understand the importance of what jesus just said he just said christian it's your job to know the law and to live in light of the law of the way it's called you to live and not only that you're called to teach others how to do the same All of us are called to be able to teach others how to live the way God has called us to live. That's why even Jesus would go on to say, All of us are called to make disciples who make disciples. And he says, Whenever you refuse to submit your life to live the way God's called you to live and you refuse to teach others how to do the same thing, he says, You are the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's not saying you've lost your salvation, he still says you're in the kingdom. But what he's pointing to is the same reality that he pointed to last week. He says, you're like salt who has lost its saltiness. You're you're like light. It's like I've lit you, but then you've covered your light up. He's saying, you are no longer fulfilling the purpose of how I've created you to live. And literally, you're least in the kingdom. Now, here's the problem. Does this not seem like legalism to some of you? It, to me, it almost seems like legalism. Maybe some of you in here, you're legalists, and you're like, all right, finally, the preacher is preaching on law. That's what we need is more law, right? Get him, preacher, right? Show him the importance of radical obedience. It seems like Jesus is being legalistic here. But as we will discover in just a moment, he's not. Listen carefully, listen carefully. As Christians, we are not to be moralistic. What I mean by that is, as Christians, we should never live in such a way that we think what we do determines our worth. Or that when we obey laws and rules, then God's going to accept us and love us more. As Christians, we should not be moralistic. But listen, we should be moral. We should be people that seek to live the way God has created us to live. And so what Jesus is trying to be real careful about here is he doesn't want any of us to walk out this morning and confuse living a moral life from living a moralistic life. So that's why he says what he says next. Don't miss this, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's probably a verse. Nine out of 10 of us in here when we do our little devotion in the morning, we'll read and skip right over. You have to understand the context of what's going on here. When Jesus said this in front of a group and even some religious, it was like a bomb that would have went off in the room. You would have had so much awkward silence. You would have had some people getting angry and mad and leaving. Jesus just turned everything upside down in just these few words. And here's why it's hard for us to understand what's going on. Let me say this. When we think of Pharisees and scribes, don't we think bad people? And I think a part of that is because of the children's Bible stories we read growing up and how they illustrated those books. The bad people always look creepy. Right? Judas Iscariot... Very creepy in those books, which is funny because the disciples didn't even know that Judas was going to betray Jesus. But in your Sunday school class, you know it because of course Judas is going to betray because he's the creepy guy standing in the corner with a weird smirk on his face. Like, yeah, that's a weird dude. Like something bad's about to go down, right? And That's what we do. And the Pharisees are no different. The Pharisees always were wearing red robes or black robes. And they always had mean looks on their face. They were the bad guys. The problem is, in this culture, they were not the bad guys. In this culture, they were revered by man. They were respected. They were the religious leaders. They were the ones who were going to take back culture for God. They voted right. They knew more verses than any of us knew. They were very moral people. And that's why what Jesus says here is absolutely crazy because he's saying two things. When he says, unless your deeds, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, here's the two things Jesus just said to all of us. He said, one, you can't work your way to heaven. You can't be good enough. And two, in a backhanded way, what he said to the scribes and Pharisees is, you're going to hell. If you continue to depend on your good works, you will be in hell. Listen, don't miss this. This will change your life if you believe it. What Jesus is saying to us is though the law can give you instruction, it cannot give you admission. What he is saying is is so clear. He is saying the law, when it comes to your life, is a terrific standard, but a terrible savior. The law can not save you. Jesus is attacking the religious south with this message. He's looking at religious people and he's saying, your religion absolutely cannot save you. He's looking at the people who think they're in because they do good stuff and he's saying, actually, you are out. He's saying, it doesn't matter what you do. It's not about how you look on the outside, but it's all about what happens on the inside that matters. And this is why Jesus would go on later in his sermon. He would say, by the way, when you go pray, don't go make a big spectacle about it and stand in front of everybody and say, I'm praying now. <laughs> hey, everybody, I'm doing my devotional. Right? Sorry if I look a little tired. Been fasting and praying all day. <laughs> Don't try to impress people with your performance because it's not about your performance. It's about Christ's performance. You're not impressive. Jesus is impressive. We're not going to be singing your praises and my praises for eternity in heaven. There is one, one only who we will boast in, and it is in Christ. He is is our hope and he is all that we have for salvation that is what christ is saying and we must never forget that as a church we must never forget that god is a god who is perfect and he requires perfection and the problem is none of us are perfect the bible says even if you have broken one law you are guilty of breaking all the laws We are all law breakers. And Jesus is the only one who could come and live a perfect life and fulfill the righteous requirement of the law that we could never fulfill ourselves. The Ten Commandments. It's not given to you to be a checklist. To say, well, I did all these things today, so I guess God will be happy with me today. if you're in Christ, God's happy with you. There is therefore now no condemnation for you. The law is not given to earn God's love. It's given because we are loved. And God just says, I want you to live a life that's going to be good for you and glorifying to me. Maybe some of you in here this morning, you really believe. You really believe. You would not say it out loud. You wouldn't dare say this out loud. But you're living this way. Some of you believe in your heart that someday you will stand before God and you will tell him about all the good things you've done and all the ways that you've served the church and how you've tithed and and how you've been nice to your neighbors and you've helped walk people across the street and whatever else that you've done and that God's gonna go, That's so impressive. Come on in. That's amazing. That's really something. Some of you think like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm a, yeah, okay, yes, I have made mistakes. You'll admit that. Right? Yeah, I mess up occasionally. I mean, yes, there was 2009. <laughs> right? But, but on the whole, I've been a pretty good person. And God is going to see that my good has outweighed the bad. And he's going to let me into his kingdom because that's going to impress him. Wrong. Wrong, Jesus says. Bad news. You ready? Bad news. We don't impress God. In fact, what the prophet Isaiah says is our righteousness is as a filthy rag before God. Even on our best day, if we compiled all of our good works all together in one day, it still wouldn't be enough to impress God. That's bad news. But you want to know what the good news is? You don't have to impress God. Because Jesus impressed God. Jesus did everything that God the Father had called him to do. Don't you see this morning? Jesus has accomplished everything you need for salvation. You don't have to be perfect. Because Jesus is perfect. And the Bible says, you know what he did with his perfection? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he went to the cross. And the Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be your sin so that you may become the righteousness of God. You know what that verse says? That at the cross, the one who kept the law perfectly was treated as a lawbreaker so that you could be treated as one who have kept the law perfectly. So that now, no matter how bad you've blown it this week, if you were in Christ, if you are clothed in His righteousness, do you know what God sees? He sees perfection. And he loves you. Some of you maybe you're here this morning and you think, man, I just... there's still so many things that I, I struggle with. If I could just be more obedient and read in my Bible every single day, if I could just pray longer prayers, if I could lead more people to Jesus, then God would love me more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. He loves you perfectly right now because he loves you with the same love that he loves Jesus Christ. You're loved perfectly. Isn't that amazing? That's what drives us to obedience. It's not the fear of if we don't do it, he's always going to punish us. No, the Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness that we do deserve hell as lawbreakers, but God sent Jesus to take on hell for us. Man, this is the message that we all need to hear over and over. This is the message the religious South needs to hear. Because listen up, and we're about done. I'm convinced that when it comes to the religious South, including some of you here this morning, it's not your bad deeds that separate you from God. It's your damnable good works. It's you think that what you have done has earned your relationship into God. Into the kingdom rather than trusting in what Christ has done for you. It might be possible that some of you here this morning, you're trying to avoid sin, but in your attempt to avoid sin, you're actually avoiding Jesus. Because rather than taking sin to Christ and trusting that He has accomplished everything for you with His sinless life, You're still trying to make up for it yourself, and so you sin, and then you say, "Okay, well, I guess I just better read all of Leviticus today, so that God knows that 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 I really love Him." We take our sin to Jesus, and we trust that He's accomplished everything that we need. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful? The good news of the gospel is not try harder. Aren't you thankful that the message of the gospel, at least according to this Bible, is not just be better? The message of the gospel is what we've seen over and over each week through the Sermon on the Mount. Is Jesus saying, admit you're broken. Admit you don't have it all together. Stop trying to perform. Admit you're weak and then don't stay there. But bring your weakness and bring your brokenness to me. And he says, there I will care for you, I will provide for you, I will protect you, and I will empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. For your good and for his glory. This morning we want to remember the real Jesus is a law fulfiller. And we do that through taking communion together. The whole point of the bread is symbolic for the perfect life of Christ. And as you tear off that bread, be reminded that Christ lived a perfect life you could never live. And as you dip it into the juice, be reminded that he then went and shed his blood for all of the times that you have broken the law. All of the times that you did not do what he's asked you to do, or you did things that he asked you not to do. Christ came and shed his blood for you so that you could be forgiven there. If you are a Christian, we encourage you to partake of communion. To come and and, and, and enjoy fellowship with us around the Lord's Supper. If you were here this morning and you are not a Christian, we just want to encourage you not to partake of this because by partaking of it, there's just nothing special for you. It's just bread and juice. I have something even greater for some of you here today. Maybe some of you've been in church your entire life, but you're lost. You've settled for a religious Jesus. You're lost. You believe that your works is what makes you right before God. You carry guilt and shame all, all of the time. Or when you obey the laws, you're really prideful and you think you're better than everybody else and you look down on them. Would you, rather than receiving communion today, would you receive Christ? Would you give your entire life to the real Jesus? Would you admit, Would you be or is that too beneath you to admit that you're a sinner? Would you admit today that you're a sinner and you're broken like all of the rest of humanity? But the good news is you don't have to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You can trust perfectly in Christ. If you do that today, I want to encourage you to talk with a person that maybe invited you this morning. Come and talk with me or or, or Luke. And we'd love to encourage you and pray for you and help you know the next step in your walk in following the real Jesus. I am going to encourage you to stand with me. And for those that are helping with communion, you can go and grab uh, our communion. And uh, as always, and I especially want to say this for, for the guest here, you'll notice... By the communion, we have a giving box. We don't ask for you to give as a guest here, and so please don't feel any obligation to give anything. We just want this service to be a gift to you. Okay, and so that's just another act of worship for us. We've received everything we have from Christ, and giving is a way for us to show a token of appreciation back by giving to Him. Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing another song and worship the real Jesus, and then partake of communion. Father, I do thank you so much that you are a God that cares about us. You are a God who loves us. Help us to believe that. Help us to believe that 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 you know how life works best. Father, I am one of the biggest sinners in here when it comes to the fact that I think I know better than you because, I don't know, because I'm 31 and I guess I feel like I have more experience than you do on life. Father, I can be so arrogant sometimes and knowing what your word says and refusing to obey it because I just don't trust you. And I know that there are other brothers and sisters in here that, that, that can echo that. Father, it's so hard for us to trust that you know what's best for our life. But would you, through the power of your spirit, remind us that you know better and help us, Father, to believe That even whenever we don't obey perfectly, that we don't have to walk around in shame and guilt and fear anymore because Jesus has come and assumed our guilt. He is taking on our condemnation and paid the penalty that we should have paid with our own blood. Help this great reminder to help us to to love Jesus more and to cherish you more and then out of love and out of desire begin to obey you and what you've called us to do. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.